Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. But first, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the latest issue of Shell Magazine that's getting ready to be released. Our feature is Ann Bradbury, the CEO of American Exploration and Production Council. This is a great group that we caught up with that actually is located in Washington, D.C. It's a group that really does help our elected officials understand better energy and energy policy. And right about now, we really need a lot of those organizations to help our elected officials start making better energy regulations to help with these crazy gas prices that we're dealing with. I'd also like to tell you about an upcoming event happening in San Antonio on August the 10th. It is our annual State of Energy in San Antonio, Texas. This year, it will be held at the Embassy Suites. Uh, Our feature is Ann Bradbury, who is coming from D.C. to talk at our State of Energy, along with Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Mike Howard, the CEO of Howard Energy, and Jason Modlin, who is the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. It's definitely a luncheon that you want to attend. There'll be lots of networking opportunities, as well as great insight and information on the great energy transition that is occurring as we speak. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest for this segment, Jason Modlin, who is the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, thank you for joining me on this segment of In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Well, thank you, Kim, very much for having me. Well, Jason, let's jump into this because there's a lot going on in Washington, D.C., a lot actually specifically talking to uh, talking about, excuse me, Senator Joe Manchin. Prior to him agreeing to uh, this new permitting bill that we're going to get into, he had been very opposed to voting for uh, the reconciliation bill that the Democrats have been trying to get through. And so I want to talk a little bit about what changed his mind. Obviously, um, something has changed his mind. And according to the Washington Post, uh, Senator Joe Manchin and uh, Senator Chuck Schumann have reached an agreement um, that would basically reform the federal uh, energy agency permitting process in exchange for a larger social spending package Um, That is according to The Hill. So first of all, what is specifically happening with the bill that Chuck Schumer is now agreeing to? How is it going to fast track energy and what are going to be the negatives and the positives of of uh, of these two coming together? And do they have the votes to pass it through? Well, lots of good questions, Kim. Um, You're absolutely right. At the tail end of July, uh, Senator Joe Manchin out of West Virginia and Senator Chuck Schumer out of New York agreed to move the reconciliation bill forward. It's not quite the Build Back Better proposal that we saw at the end of last year, but it's very similar. Um, uh, Two key things that that you brought up, um, permitting reform, Um, and then energy spending. On permitting reform, uh, that does not fit into the rules uh, to be able to be included in the spending bill. Uh, So that will be a separate legislative package. 
And uh, all eyes are on that to try to determine what uh, it would benefit the industry, how it's going to help build pipelines and ports and, and export facilities and import facilities. What is that ultimately going to look like? Um, certainly, uh, permits have dragged on for many years at the federal level, and it's not just oil and gas. Uh, it, it also slows down uh, the expansion of wind, the expansion of solar. So there, there are lots of advocates uh, that are, uh, are bipartisan and, and very encouraging of the Senate to take on permitting reform. I think that's probably the main carrot for Senator Manchin. Um, on the spending bill, um, it is a complete mixed bag compromise bill. There's some good things for the oil and gas industry, some bad things, um, and, and then some that really don't uh, affect us at all, but in fact affect the entire economy. Um, those being tax increases uh, basically across the board. Um, uh, and so I think there's, there, there's lots to pick at. Uh, it's unclear if there's opportunities to change or modify or improve the bill. Um, as you know, it's a razor thin margin in the Senate. There's 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans uh, allowing for Vice President Harris to, to be the tie-breaking vote, which tends to, to give Democrats, uh, does give Democrats the power uh, to dictate what this reconciliation package is going to look like. Um, you asked about the, the good and the bad. So um, specifically on oil and gas, uh, I, I would categorize uh, the, the mandate to restart leasing on federal lands, particularly in the Gulf of Mexico, as a very good provision. Um, the bad ones, uh, as I mentioned, the new corporate taxes, there's also a proposal for a tax on methane emissions. It's very unclear how that will be implemented um, because it, it, it has a number of contingencies in it, but generally any tax on energy production is going to result in higher cost for consumers, uh, which we generally oppose. Um, uh, right. There's also higher royalty rates on federal lands. Um, and then the potential that the administration still does what they've been doing, which is interrupt lease sales, um, add more regulation, uh, slow walk pipelines, um, all of those things are potentially looming out there that Congress has not been able to bind administrations um, to, to um, complying with their intent. Well, let me ask you on uh, the uh, ruling that the new energy projects would have a limited window. They had normally, like, look at the Keystone Pipeline, how long it has been pushed back. This would actually give them a deadline of no more than 180 days if this is set for legal challenges. So it kind of pushed this forward to where projects should get into the pipeline, so to speak. Um, relatively quickly as opposed to staying in some regulatory limbo for years and years and years. That's probably a win for the pipeline midstream area. Which That's substantial agree? progress, no question. And and I really appreciate it as much as there's bad and, and, and not very <laughs> uh, appealing provisions in this bill. Uh, the framing that Senator Manchin had that we are in an energy crisis. We're in an energy crisis here in the United States and globally. Um, and we need to start investing 
in our energy resources in this country. Um, I, I really appreciated that framing of it um, because uh, we've had uh, Democrats and, and, and this administration um, say that we can go without, uh, that we can meet our energy demands uh, by subtracting um, oil, gas, coal, uh, nuclear, um, which is simply not true. Well, and it also was a win for Senator Manchin and uh, West Virginians because it also will include the completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is a natural gas pipeline. Um, it's one of his pet projects, but how long do you, I mean, you might not know the exact years, but this is an example of how long pipelines can sit in limbo trying to get through. Do you have any idea how long it took for this Mountain Valley Pipeline, which shouldn't take that long, sitting out there waiting to try to get permitting? And this is an example of how that 180 days should prevent something like this again, right? I think by the time it's built, it will probably have been a decade. Um, and, and really, uh, you have abundant natural gas resources on the East Coast, but they don't have the ability to get beyond a few states. Um, and that's hamstringing uh, both our exports, but then also uh, the pace of, of getting off of dirtier fuel sources, whether it's heating oil or coal. Um, and so um, the, these types of uh, just environmental roadblocks are completely unnecessary and, and many times counterproductive. Let me switch gears real quick and talk just a little bit about the Inflation Reduction Act. Manchin also had said he was not going to back it quickly. He has changed his mind as of this week. That also has a climate tax in there. Um, tell me a little bit about how that looks like it might affect the energy uh, sector um, with this Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, so the Inflation Reduction Act is the reconciliation package. That, that, that's where they're going to uh, engage in all of this spending. And there will be tax increases, uh, uh, as I mentioned, a corporate tax, a, a minimum 15% corporate tax uh, across the board. And then specifically for the oil and gas sector, we've been focused on a tax on methane emissions. And really unclear how that will uh, be implemented. As I mentioned, there's there's a number of contingencies in the bill, some of which have yet to come to fruition, like EPA adopting their methane rules. Um, on the uh, wind and solar side, there's extension of production tax credits. Essentially, they add a kilowatt onto the grid and they get paid directly from the federal government for that kilowatt. Um, those uh, are in this bill and will be extended uh, for another 10 year period. So now it, it also has lowered the burden on getting this bill through with majority 50-50. When do you when are they going to take this bill up and of course it's it's going to pass? We thought it was going to be this week, the first week of August. It, it doesn't appear that that's the case, uh, largely because Senator Sinema uh, has had opposition to the corporate taxes, the new corporate taxes uh, that she views will negatively impact Arizona. Um, so, so stay tuned, but it will be a 50 uh, vote margin for the reconciliation package, and then um, uh, it will take at least 60 votes for the permitting package. Very good. Well, Jason, I thank you for coming on and I look forward to having you back after this passes. When we all get to look at it, then we'll have you back on to tell us what's in it and how is it going to affect the energy sector, uh, oil and gas, and of course, solar and wind. Thank you for being a guest on this segment of Indio Petro Show. Thank you, Kim, very much. 
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers invites you to their annual conference on September 14th and 15th at the Hotel Drover in Fort Worth, Texas. The event will feature author and energy expert Alex Epstein during the industry luncheon on September 15th. It's the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers annual conference, September 14th and 15th in Fort Worth, Texas. For tickets and hotel reservation information, go to TexasAlliance.org. That's TexasAlliance.org. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And now it's time to welcome on my guest, Sean Strawbridge, who is the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Kim. Nice to be here. Well, let's jump in because there's a lot going on pertaining to energy, as there always is with the Biden administration. Um, but recently, there was a very prominent research firm, which is RBN Energy, who stated approximately 74% of all U.S. crude shipments loaded from the loaded from the Port of Corpus Christi area terminals. And this was rendering one of the highest uh, weekly volumes to be loaded in the region. And as of today, 2022, you guys have received a lot of cargo has gone through the Gulf Coast, specifically two large crude carriers, better known as the LVCCs. In the past few weeks, you've seen a lot of more uh, VLCCs going through the Gulf Coast. I'm sure to, of course, try to help uh, with some of the energy crisis that are going on uh, in Europe and elsewhere. But that has also spiked the amount of supertankers that we've seen in the area, as well as you guys have played a very key role uh, on a global energy market. I want you to tell me a little bit about, break that down, what this means for the Port of Corpus Christi and the region. Well, Kim, that 74% market share, that was actually a new high water mark for the Port of Corpus Christi. Uh, and that was over a one week period in early June. Uh, we averaged nearly 16 million barrels uh, for that week, that was over 2 million barrels, about 2.2 million barrels a day. And one of our customers, Enbridge, at their Ingleside Energy Center also set a record uh, at a million barrels a day of average loading. Uh, most of that is due to obviously the increased demand, global demand for crude oil, uh, coupled with the large suppliers that have been taken off the market, uh, Venezuela, uh, Iran uh, to a certain degree, and now Russia, although, you know, the Russia production is, has, the, the sanctions on Russia haven't had quite the impact that I think the, the Biden administration had hoped for. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing now India uh, being uh, supplanting uh, Saudi Arabian crude with Russian crude at a deep discount, of course, as uh, the Russian government is uh, in need of uh, significant capital to fund their uh, incursion there in, in the Ukraine. And what that means for American producers is there is a growing appetite and growing demand for American barrels on the international markets. 
And the Port of Corpus Christi is the largest gateway for U.S. produced energy exports in the nation. Uh, we are well positioned to be able to meet those international demands. Problem is rig counts still have not reached pre-pandemic levels. So I suspect we will see a plateauing of production unless or until we see an increased rig count in the Permian and perhaps uh, uh, in the Eagleford. Uh, we are still well below in the Eagleford pre-pandemic levels uh, and we have not yet recovered in the Permian. But what we've also seen is we've seen a bit of a consolidation in the market here in Corpus Christi, meaning not only are we taking whatever increased production that's coming to the coast, but we're also taking some market share from some other gateways like Louisiana uh, and the upper Texas coast. Well, it sounds like you're saying that the Port of Corpus Christi is really open for business and you have plenty of of uh, space and uh, can meet any uh, demand that's coming in to be able to, to put more energy out on the global market to to meet the energy needs. Let's yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point in terms of capacity. If I can just touch sure. upon that, yeah, go ahead. So you know we've got uh, some significant takeaway capacity from the production fields, both Permian and Eagleford to Corpus Christi. We are seeing uh, an increased utilization of those pipelines. In fact, Epic Midstream announced that their pipeline is now full. That's over nine hundred thousand barrels a day. Uh, coming directly from the Permian to Corpus. Uh, we've got three other major pipelines coming to uh, Corpus Christi, and we've got a significant amount of terminaling capacity here in the region as well. So by our estimation, we're probably somewhere in the 62 to 65% utilization. So we still have a tremendous amount of upside. Our expectation is we could see another six to 700,000 barrels per day of crude oil coming to Corpus Christi, finding its way to the coast, and ultimately getting on those very large crude carriers, as you mentioned, going to those international markets, both in the Asia Pacific region, and of course now with the increased uh, demand and the reduction in supply, Russian supply reaching Western Europe. Well, let's talk about, since we're we're on the uh, topic of um, energy and how it's, you know, coming out of the port of Corpus Christi and going global to meet the energy demands. Um, LNG is specifically been in the forefront. This is the most needed uh, in certain areas of the world. But it also has been, uh, the port has played a very vital role in helping get that out. Tell me about that as well. Yeah, look, liquefied natural gas, we've seen tremendous uh, appetite there uh, in the international markets. And and, and you know, 40% of, of Europe's gas consumption was sourced from Russia. And as you see those interruptions, again, from these, not only the sanctions, but now we're seeing Mr. Putin use uh, his natural gas uh, as a weapon against countries that uh, are nodding towards NATO, like Finland and Sweden. Uh, there's just an increased demand and an increased appetite for more energy globally. Uh, the challenge, for us here in the United States, we have an abundant supply of proven reserves of natural gas. The challenge is twofold. We need to move those molecules to the coast, which means we need more pipeline capacity, which Mm -hmm. has been regulatory and commercially constrained, Uh, but certainly there are still some uh, heavy regulatory burdens placed on pipeline operators by the federal government. And we are certainly advocating for a relaxing of some of those regulations instead of a 
tightening of some of those regulations. The other constraint is the liquefaction capacity at the coast. You know, natural gas comes in a gas form and in order to compress it such that it can be competitively moved on vessels, you have to cool it, yes. super cool it. Right. And to do that, that's what's called a liquefaction capacity. And here again, there's been regulatory hurdles uh, and there, there has been, the federal government has been slow through FERC, the Federal Energy um, Regulatory Commission. Uh, Committee, Commission, excuse me. Uh, FERC has been slow to issue some of those liquefaction right. permits. We're seeing now uh, some of that log jam being broken free, but these are very capital intensive projects and they take many years. Chenier, which is our large LNG a liquefaction operator here in Corpus Christi. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to talk about that. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. And you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, before the break, you were talking about we have this backlog regulatory, and then we have some uh, infrastructure issues with providing uh, liquefied natural gas to our allies that they need it now. But you're, you, you were discussing how even these big projects take many years before they really get into uh, into a way a commission if you will to be able to deliver but but I want to talk about um, and, and we can certainly continue if you if you didn't finish with that point but let's also talk about the fire that happened in Freeport of course we never like to see that happen uh, but from time to time, these things do happen. So didn't it already make a really bad situation of not of an energy crisis even worse? Because they're not expected to come back online. They had thought a couple of uh, months. Now they're talking about the third quarter, maybe even going into the fourth quarter. What are your thoughts on that? And how bad is it going to be um, pertaining to the LNG and the shortage? Well, you know, clearly, Kim, it's simple supply and demand uh, laws and you know, when uh, again, we, we're seeing a growing appetite globally, as well as in this country for energy, all forms of energy. Mm -hmm. And if you remove supply from the market, a market that is already tight, you're going to see increased pricing. We saw Henry Hub pop up over nine bucks uh, in the wake of the uh, the Freeport uh, LNG uh, incident. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we certainly don't like to see these incidents. LNG has tremendous safety records, these LNG facilities. Japan has 28 LNG import terminals that they've been operating since post-World War II. Uh, they have a heavy dependency on LNG to power their, uh, their uh, electrical sector uh, and, and certainly for their, uh, their residential uses. So there is, you know, tremendous safety records in LNG. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, it, things do happen. And from our standpoint and, and my personal opinion, I think you're just going to continue to see higher prices 
until we can see an equilibrium, uh, supply demand equilibrium uh, in the market. Uh, you know, there's a lot of LNG producers, uh, you know, Qatar, uh, Australia, you know, there are many LNG facilities around the world. Uh, it, it certainly is, is not good as the United States is really emerging as a leader in LNG supply. And I do believe that we uh, are going to, this is a long-term sustainable position for the United States, but, you know, we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot uh, politically and, and, and in the regulatory environment when these are molecules that are needed for our allies. Uh, they're cleaner molecules than traditional sources of energy like coal. Uh, so, you know, we should not politicize this. These are opportunities for us to balance our trade deficit, uh, increase our, uh, our, our foreign relations uh, with folks like our NATO allies. Uh, who are trying to wean themselves from more nefarious sources of, of gas like Russia. Uh, and so why we continue to shoot ourselves in the foot uh, by putting re more regulatory constraints uh, on these facilities is, is, is really unfathomable from my standpoint. Well, Sean, let's talk about the port and y'all's double-digit volume growth pertaining to the amount of LNG that you guys are moving real quick. Then I want to move on to your ESG goals. Um, how significant has it been? You guys are taking records in new uh, tonnage amounts, uh, 56.2% increase in liquefied natural gas, uh, exporting 5.4 million tons. How significant is that from this time last year? Well, it, it, Kim, it's very significant. And that's kudos to our customers uh, who are moving those volumes. It's kudos to Chenier, who is extracting more molecules out of their Corpus Christi liquefaction facility than the placard capacity that it was built for. Uh, their, uh, their ability to optimize that facility is truly impressive. Uh, when you look at the crude oil demand, it's come roaring back. You know, we reached peak oil consumption globally at about 103 million barrels pre-pandemic. Uh, I don't think we've seen peak oil. Uh, you have heavy uh, growth uh, markets like uh, China and, and India uh, and they're really focused on driving their economy and they're going to have that heavy dependency on foreign sources of energy and the United States is positioned well and the Port of Corpus Christi with our heavy focus on creating that infrastructure to facilitate those exports. We think we're positioned well to meet those growing appetites for American energy. Very good. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get on. You guys have a lot of diversity going on pertaining to your energy uh, uh, how you guys are, are looking at energy and, and the diversification that's going on and also your ESG goals. I want to cover that, but we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Mark Thursday, September 22nd on your calendars for State of Energy Midland, hosted by Shale Magazine and the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch Radio Show. The luncheon on September 22nd starts at 11.30 a.m. at the Doubletree Hotel in Midland, Texas, and you'll want to get your ticket soon as this will sell out quickly. It's State of Energy Midland, Thursday, September 22nd, starting at 11.30 a.m. For more information, go to shalemag.com or email josie at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, we've covered the amount, uh, the, the the really impressive amount uh, of of um, growth that the port is seeing. 
uh, and you guys still have more uh, capacity as well for any operators uh, that are listening. Uh, but let's talk about the diversification that you guys are also going through. It is no secret that you are a big fan of uh, looking at not just crude and natural gas, but what else can the port support, especially when we talk about green energy. And there have been some of your customers that have announced transitions as well in this area. Enbridge has been one. Howard Energy has been another. So tell me a little bit about the goal, the overall goal that you have pertaining to what you see the port in, uh, moving towards and the significance, and then some of your customers. We are in an evolving time in the energy space. And as I mentioned in the previous segments, uh, the appetite for power, for energy globally continues to grow. And so we've got to look at all forms of energy. Now, we also have some issues related to atmospheric carbon concentrations. And most major companies have made significant announcements and commitments to atmospheric decarbonizations and decarbonizing their operations. One way to do that is to look at the feedstocks that they're using for their operations and see if there are cleaner sources of energy that they can consume in their industrial operations. Hydrogen seems to be what is percolating to, you know, the top of everybody's mind and, and discussion and different derivatives of hydrogen, ammonia, for example. And from our standpoint, the Port of Corpus Christi's perspective, Kim, we think that all the ingredients that have made us successful in traditional sources of energy for export means uh, that they will hold true for these new uh, greener uh, sources of energy like hydrogen. So we have made a commitment to pursue a what I am calling a hydrogen production hub status. Uh, we have a lot of those ingredients for for hydrogen derived from natural gas, hydrocarbons, uh, and that would include carbon capture, use and storage, uh, and then hydrogen produced from H2O, from water, using renewable energy, of which Texas is the largest producer of renewable energy in the United States. We're number one in wind uh, energy production and number two in solar energy production. We should be taking full advantage of those renewable energy sources to produce what the market is calling green hydrogen. You know, there's a lot of these different color hues when they talk about the different forms of hydrogen. We like to talk about it in terms of carbon concentrations. Uh, and really for us, we're looking at doing some uh, partnering with the US federal government. There's been significant capital that's been appropriated by this administration under the IIJA, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act about $68 billion over the next five years that has been earmarked for de-risking and improving these types of clean energy production hubs. And we have uh, ambition to be designated as one of those hubs, but we're doing that in tandem with customers such as Enbridge and Talos Energy. And of course, our good friends at Howard Energy, a great San Antonio based company uh, who have also made those, those commitments. So we're pretty excited about our future. We think that this is uh, going to be another leg up in our growth trajectory, but we're not ignoring and are not turning our backs at all on our core business. We think that for the next at least two generations, hydrocarbons are going to have a major role to play in global energy consumption. Well, you know, diversification, we're seeing it happening with all of the oil and gas companies. They are trying to uh, come up with a 
strategy uh, to accommodate their ESG goals. Do you think, in, in light of what's happening with with all the energy companies and so much in the media right now, um, I think a couple of weeks back, Barry, I don't know if you can remind me of what company it was. I was interviewing a company. It was very interesting. They are projecting that it's not just going to be the energy companies that are going to have to start coming out with strategies, which they already are, um, but now they're – uh, vendors are going to be also having to look at these things if they want to do business with these companies. Do you see that strategy happening in Corpus at all anytime soon? Absolutely, uh, Kim. I'll give you a great example. Uh, we have a uh, partnership with a company called Stabilis Energy, right? Uh, and they are a they are one of the nation's largest small scale LNG producer. They've got an operation just up the road in George West. Right. Uh, which is about halfway between Corpus Christi and, and San Antonio. And they are really focusing on the marine fueling markets. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about industrial vessels like the super tankers. Mm -hmm. uh, today, these, uh, these large vessels are using heavy fuel oil. Uh, there's been a mandate by the International Maritime Organization, the IMO, uh, that went into effect in 2020 that all uh, of their fuel sources within a uh, certain uh, distance from from countries that they're entering into their sovereign waters have to use ultra low sulfur uh, uh, fueling sources like heavy fuel oil or diesel uh, or LNG. And a lot of the new vessels, the keels that are being laid in the new vessels have LNG fueling capability. So we've partnered with Stabilis Energy. By our estimations, there are over 200 ships a year, which is not a lot for Corpus Christi out of our 6,000 plus vessels that call Corpus Christi each year. About 200 of those are LNG powered vessels, but we wanna be able to have a fuel source and a fueling capability for the maritime industry. And this is certainly one such opportunity in, in partnering with Stabilis Energy. Why do I say that? Well, when you, if you think about your, you know, your listeners are probably, you know, if they're like me in my household, we're heavy users of Amazon. Amazon uses a supply chain of airplanes, of vessels, of rail, of trucks, of vans. Uh, if you think about their supply chain, they're going to need to make a decarbonization commitment to their supply chain. So they're going to have to look at using greener sources of fuel for those transportation modes in their supply chain if they're going to meet their climate goals. And that's what the consumer, certainly the American consumer, is really looking at is, right. are they buying products that they can consider green, whether that's the product itself or whether that's the supply chain that moved that product from the manufacturing center where it was made to the consumer centers and ultimately to uh, our homes. Sean, when we get back from break, I wanna talk about what's happening in Washington D.C. Uh, and uh, Biden's recent announcement talking about a national emergency on the energy crisis that's occurring. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to in the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, let's switch gears and talk about uh, what's happening uh, at the, with the Biden administration and, uh, and also at Capitol Hill. Uh, Biden yesterday announced that he is uh, thinking about uh, signing an executive order uh, and calling in a national emergency because of the uh, uh, critical state that he believes we are in with the oil and gas. And I want to get your belief on, first of all, are we in that much of a national crisis or global crisis with energy? How much of the administration uh, do you feel is responsible, his policies, for, for why we're in this mess? And do you have any potential solutions of how we get ourselves out of this mess. And and most importantly is if he does do this, does it attempt to nationalize our energy source, kind of like what happened in Venezuela? So I know I, I gave you a lot, <laughs> but and I can come back to it. But I want to get your opinion on on, on how significant is this and, and, and should we really be paying attention to this? Or is this... Well... Kim, I, I haven't seen any specifics uh, to what President Biden is uh, is speaking to or intending to do or considering. And I don't know how an executive order is going to help uh, the situation in the near term. I would also not pin, I don't think any president uh, has the singular power to create an environment that we are in today. What we are in is a hangover from a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're in a hangover from a supply chain that is was not built for the demand that it's trying to serve now. You know, in in you think about the pandemic, everybody everybody got locked down. Couldn't go to the movie theaters, you couldn't go to restaurants, you couldn't go on vacation to the beach and stay in a hotel. You were at home. So what did people do? They shifted their disposable income spending habits from those types of, of entertainment channels to buying things. Uh, and that's why Amazon proliferated so much. That's why the value of Amazon and the revenues of Amazon increased so much over that period of time. So that put a heavy strain on a supply chain that was really built for what's called just-in-time delivery. Uh, you know, Manufacturers don't wanna carry a lot of inventory. Retailers don't want to carry a lot of inventory. So they have really finely tuned their supply chains to meet their demand forecasts. When all of that went out the window because of an unforeseen global pandemic that had not happened in over a century, we're now seeing in the wake of that a lot of the, the hangover. Uh, and, 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 and that's not any one president's fault. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can- It started under on- President Trump and ended yeah. up in Biden, but, so- 
Sure. But, but President Trump didn't start the pandemic. Right. President Biden didn't start the, uh, you know, the supply chain woes, uh, you know, but on their watch, they're going to be criticized. Uh, and I get it. Uh, you know, the, they're the captain of the ship. And, mm -hmm. you know, with the, that, that captainship comes responsibility. I, I think you also have to understand, you know, we have our economies, global economies are intrinsically laced together. Right. And, you know, when you see, for example, China, China was shut down yet again, Shanghai completely shut down, one of the largest cities on the planet, completely shut down because of COVID and because of their, you know, their the autocracy that they have there, they have an ability to just lock people in their homes, uh, millions of people. When they come out of that, you think about all that pent up demand at a time when for energy, for transportation fuels, for for other types of, of forms of energy as they as they come out of their COVID cocoon at a time when you've got Russia who has significant sanctions on them. So you can see there's a domino effect going on, which means I don't know what President Biden has available to him to be able to uh, to deal with any of those uh, those initiatives. I mean, what tools in his tool belt does he have? Uh, you know, when you talk about quantitative tightening, the Fed just raised interest rates three quarters of a basis point. That's the largest increase in over 40 years. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, nearly two generations of economic uh, uh, challenges, economic head headwinds uh, that we haven't seen in two generations, I should say. Um, I don't think that uh, there's a silver bullet here. I think that ultimately it's going to take time to work itself out. What I do think the president has available to him is an easing of regulations. Mm -hmm. Let's not weaponize the EPA. Let's not have that that incendiary rhetoric against oil and gas industries. You know, when the oil and gas uh, companies were losing money during the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of support from the federal government uh, for them at that point. Now that they're actually making some money. Uh, you know, why are we vilifying them when you look at companies like Google and Facebook and Apple that are making exponentially more profit than these energy companies are? And nobody is talking about putting any kind of additional regulations or or limiting their ability to uh, to make money. So, you know, I, I think we need to really kind of put all that political rhetoric aside and let's be more pragmatic about what we need, which is more energy. Uh, for not only American consumers, but certainly for our global allies. What did you think about when Biden announced a couple of weeks back uh, on one of his press conferences that the increased prices of crude was just the cost of doing business uh, as we move into a greener transition? Um, is this part of the, the the formula that he's using is, is what's happening right now? And so is this more intentional in your opinion? Well, well, look, the, the federal government places a pretty hefty gasoline tax on the American consumer. You know, if they want to help the American consumer out, let's relax that gas tax. Uh, the state of California has another 55 cent gas tax on top of the federal gas tax. If the California legislature wants to help its consumers reduce those tax, uh, the, you know, those taxes on on that fuel to help the American consumer, because the price of crude oil is not controlled by any single government. It is a globally traded commodity mm -hmm. and you've got multiple producers around the world and it is really driven by supply, demand and certainly expectations and, and a bit of emotion as well. Uh, but we are going to see for the near and medium term uh, higher fuel prices unless or until some of these global sanctions placed on Iran and Venezuela and certainly Russia 
uh, unless or until they're relaxed, other producers are really going to have to fill that void. And that's why Saudi Arabia has agreed to increase their production. We're seeing record production in the Permian Basin in Texas by American producers. But, you know, production doesn't automatically interpolate into low prices at the pump. We still have to have the infrastructure in place to support those increased volumes. And private industry is not going to make those investments if they think this is only going to be a short-term price hike, uh, sorry, you know, elevated prices, and that there's going to be a retracement. They're not going to invest those billions of dollars and put their shareholder value at risk, as we've seen in past cycles. So, you know, I really do think that if President Biden wants to be helpful, he needs to be more supportive of American energy producers, all producers, all forms of production, uh, and and let's let's remove that bureaucratic mud off our boots and, and let's move a little swifter and get in that production to the demand centers that need it. Very good. Well, Sean, it was a pleasure having you back on the show, coming in and talking to us about all things energy. And I'm just so happy to see that the Port of Corpus Christi is finally, under your leadership, we have just seen amazing things. You haven't been there that long, uh, what, five years or so, and just the transformation has just been outstanding. Keep up the good work. Uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you again for being a guest on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you for having me, Jim. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.